0: And Lord, as we think of the cross, we look to the cross, we're not talking about a piece of wood. We're talking about a person. We're talking about God in the flesh who came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, providing forgiveness and salvation and return back to you from our sin. Lord, thank you for the cross, thank you for the example. Thank you for the opportunity. And just thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Under pressure. So what's up when life's feeling so down? What's up when life's looking so down? Well, uh, let's begin with six faulty ways to respond to times of trial. Uh, Number one, in a life trial... I don't need to think. In a life trial, I don't need to think. I mean, God has done the thinking for me, so whatever. I mean, let go and let God. Uh, Be an intellectual couch potato. I don't need to think. Oh, really? Second faulty response to trials in life, I don't need to feel. Uh, After all, God says obey. And we all know that obedience is emotionless. Um, that'll get blown out of the water today. A third, in a life trial, I just completely fall apart. I'm completely incapable. It's way too much for me. I can't deal with it. I cry and I cry. I have pity party. I'm incapable. I'm an emotional basket case. Oh yeah, First no, Corinthians 10, 13. No trial is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be trialed beyond what you can bear. Okay, how about this? In a life trial, uh, uh, because the Bible says, rejoice in all things, Uh, I'm just going to sing and dance. After all, everything's good and happy with Jesus. So, la, 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 la. Okay, I won't go there. Uh, Or how about five? In a life trial, I just blow up. I mean, I've done what God's asked, and this is what I get for it. I don't deserve this. God and everyone else, I'm mad. I'm mad about it all because you're unfair and I'm angry. Six, faulty response to life trials. In a life trial, I am an army of one. Uh, By the way, real men do not ask for directions, I can do it alone. I am a spiritual marine. By the way, only spiritual babies ask for help. I'm a rock. And I'm going to do it alone, really. Well, here's my question. If we were to be Christ-like, if we're to be Christ-like, what does that look like? What does it look like to handle real-life troubles like Christ would handle them. If we're to be Christ-like, how did Christ respond to trial? Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, if you don't have a Bible with you, you have got some people coming around with one. We're big about the Bible around here. Not just talking about it, but getting in it. Mark chapter 14. So far in this series, we have studied for months actually Uh, And the summary, if you will, is there in your update in the sermon notes section about just the various kinds of trials. We started out talking from James chapter 1, taking a look, where it does say, it says, Consider all trials with joy. The various trials have come to produce a staying power so that we remain through the trials that the Lord has allowed into our life to be able to get the full impact, the full transformation work that the Lord has for us in that. And so then from there we started, and we took a look at various people, Noah and Abraham and David and Job and others in the scriptures to take a look, what kind of trials has the Lord put in their life? Because so often people look at the Bible and think, oh, people from the Bible, you know, they had it made. They didn't have any troubles. I mean, you know, come to Jesus and you'll have no problems. It's a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. You're right. We've been taking a look at the various realities that people went through so that we can learn from that to see the various kind of trials that the Lord allows in life. And then these last three weeks, today being the last, We've really been focusing on the response part of it. How do we respond to trials? Not just knowing about them and seeing God in them and through them, but how do I respond? And two weeks ago, we took a look in Mark chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters of the whole scriptures. Taking a look as the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up and (laughs) Christ is there and they're like, don't you care? So often... That's how we respond. And yet, just gleaning from that, that if we're to respond to trials, we need to be people that, were, that, that cling to the words of Christ, the power of Christ, the person of Christ, and the people of Christ. And then last week, just another example, taking a look at the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. Taking a look at Paul as he tells in chapter 11 about all the trials, all the stuff that he's been delivered beatings and shipwrecks and hunger and just the, the, the angst for the church and all these kinds of things that are there. And yet in chapter 12, verse 10, he says, I am content, I'm satisfied. Hey, listen, if this was what God has for me in my plate of life, listen, that's okay because we're living a dot right now that extends to eternity. And I'm satisfied. I can be content right now. Today, we're going to go take a look at Christ. And what a better place to be taking a look at Christ in this one situation, this one time period about how to handle life trials than to go to Gethsemane. And as we get ready to go to that, I just want to have us play this short video from when Karen and I were over in Israel in Gethsemane so you can kind of just see some of the picture of where we're going to be at today. Here we are in Gethsemane. Place that was a foundational moment uh, for the cross to take place. In this area, where Christ came at night with the disciples, um, separated from them, went off alone and prayed. This is the place where, if you will, he drove in a stake in the ground, pleading to God the Father, if there's any other way this could be taken away, God, please, may there might be a way. And then coming to the place where, no, uh, what you've called me to do, I will do. What an amazing place. amazing place to think that uh, my Savior, for me, came here to do for me, to do for us, what we could not do for ourselves. And they led him away to be crucified. Mark chapter 14. Uh, we are in a narrative. Narrative is the description of what took place. One of the wonderful things I love about the Scriptures is the fact that 70% thereabouts is a narrative in Scripture. It's about real people. You see, God in His sovereignty could have made it, to where the Scripture is just kind of a didactic form, like a textbook form. In other words, in the text that we're going to be in today, God could have done it where he had Mark write down that basically the disciples and Jesus were in the upper room and they had the Last Supper, and then they left there, and then they went to Gethsemane, and then they bullet-pointed the next thing in Gethsemane, then this happened, and then this happened, and then they came and took him away. And it could have been that way. Uh, but we have the Gospels in a narrative format that not only tell us about, if you will, that path that's going to the cross and the empty tomb that's taking place, but it's also about the people involved. And so I just want to be clear today, so much of what we're looking at as we're going at this text and taking a look, we're kind of in essence, while the the thrust of the text is talking about going to the cross and the empty tomb, we're kind of looking back in light of this series and taking a look at Christ and going, look at how he is responding to this whole thing. I think there's some things we can glean out of this to be able for us to be able to live through trials of life as well. Okay, that's where I'm coming from. So, here and there, we're going to step back, take a look at what's taking place. Let's go to Mark 14, starting verse 22. And I'm going to term kind of some of this section as first, I think Christ looks around and assesses uh, it's stated here, all that's on the plate of this time period in his life. Chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he gave it to, the, to them, the disciples, and said, Take, this is my body. Whose body? My body, Christ's body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood. Whose blood? Christ's blood. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink new in the kingdom of God. It's interesting here. They're in the Lord's Supper. They're not quite in Gethsemane, which is the picture here. This is the flat part of Gethsemane. But they're not quite there yet. They're in this upper room, not that far away. And basically, I just want to point out as we read some of these verses, Christ knew very well the fact of what was taking place all around him. Now, yeah, he is God in the flesh, a bit of an advantage there um, in knowing what's coming, but that's not the point. The point is here, I just want to see as we track down some of this, he's dealing with what is on the plate. Part of what it starts with is this, he knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's coming to a time in life where something, this is it. This is the culminating point. This is the big one. We're like right there, right around the corner from it on what's happening. And let, let us be reminded, Christ was not the first one to be crucified on a cross. And that day, the Romans crucified people regularly who were, who were bad people, wicked people. It was one of their ways of capital punishment. So uh, Christ knew what crucifixion was all about. It's very likely as a child, as a young man, as a man, there was some point in time where he was on the roads and seeing men hanging on a cross being crucified. Can you imagine right at this point, all of a sudden you're thinking back to those and going, that's going to be me in a little bit. I want to tell you, it's one thing when you think about things of the devastation that it can be on life. I remember my dad when... He was diagnosed with prostate cancer and just watching back in the days where they didn't have much like they do now and it was at a point where it was beyond, it was just controlling, took him to his death. And Yet watching that process is completely different than saying cancer is a pretty pretty heavy-duty thing. And then all of a sudden when that happens to you, if that happens to you, and you've seen that process before, I want to tell you, you're in a whole nother reality knowing what's coming ahead for you very likely. And Christ is going to the cross. He's completely understanding what's taking place right here. Amazing thing. Verse 26, let's just keep going. And when they had sung a hymn, in other words, they they had reached under the chairs and they grabbed that blue book and they pulled it out to 362 because that's the way it was since creation. When they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will fall away. speaking to the disciples, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He knew what was going to be taking place with the disciples right around him. This all in the weight of the situation. He's been with these guys for three years now. He's been giving of his life, of his time, of his investment in these guys. And he knows when it's going to the cross, when he's going to the cross, he's going to the cross alone. And added on top of that is the reality of his best buds, those that he's been investing himself in the whole time, are going to bail on him in this period of time. And he knows all this that's happening. Let's pick up verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. (laughs) Uh, Praise the Lord. Uh, Verse 29, Peter said to him, love, Peter. Hey, Jesus, even though they, like the other 11 or 10 right now, even though they fall away, uh uh-uh, not going to be me. Oh, bless your heart, Peter. And Jesus said to him, truly, Peter, you are a knucklehead. Uh, truly, (laughs) just like us, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you're not only going to deny me, but you're going to deny me three times. 21, 31, but he said emphatically, Peter did, oh, Jesus, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And look at this. And they all said the same thing. Now, as we step back from this, Uh, This is God in the flesh, knowing what's coming ahead. We don't have that advantage. But understand, the trial of going to the cross was not just beginning right here in this text. This had already come before. In fact, we could even say that the trial was at the birth began. We could say uh, very much so that it was at the triumphal entry that the cross really came on the clear radar for Christ. And yet, clearly, here at this point, he's at this time. And as we step back and take a look, I just want to make an observation. I think Christ is so aware of exactly what's taking place around him. It just staggers me. He knows what's going on for him. He knows what's going on around him. And yet, he continues to move ahead. And I make this point, just over the years with myself, as well as working with other people oftentimes people get stuck right there. They get stuck in assessing a hard time of life and looking at it at the type of thing to where, frankly, they're looking at it very selfishly, very internally. I don't like this right now because it bugs me, it bothers me. Instead of taking a look at this, like Psalm 139 at the last two verses, David says, Lord, show me anything in me I've got to change. Like in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ says, listen, I need to be big about the log in my eye rather than the speck in other people's eye. And if you will here, there's an aspect to where Christ is very well aware of where he's at in the process. And I just want to say, are you in a time of trial looking, if you will, looking around, including internally and asking the question, how am I dealing with this? right now? Where is my heart? Where is my head? Where is the scriptures in my process right now of how I'm dealing with? Oh, and by the way, how is this impacting those around me? It's just staggering at times to see things moving along and how I or how we as individuals Uh, do things and yet don't even consider the implications on those around us. What's the impact on our children if you have kids? What's the impact on my friends around me? What's the impact on my spouse? What's the impact on my uh, co-workers with me? All we're thinking about is them ruining our lives rather than looking at this and assessing the whole thing. Uh, here's where I'm getting at. Uh, there's an aspect here, I think, where, if you will, stepping out, taking a look. It's, there's this whole assessment of all this event that's taking place, and here's the kicker. It's the next thing, because Christ takes all of this stuff, looking around, and then he looks up and he takes it to the vertical. Uh, let's, let's take a look. Verse 32 And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here a while and I'm going to go and pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death got just ahead of myself there here in this looking around reality he's taking a look at everything that's happening and and what brings it all together for me is is Christ comes into Gethsemane he comes in this place to where all of this is not just like here's the intellectual facts of what's happening he's like i mean he is like to the core of who he is to the core of his soul he is grieved over what's happening he is just laid bare with this weight And with all that's taking place, it's this idea of... Listen, it's not just an intellectual process. Yes, it's about thinking intellectually and assessing the situation and taking in what's happening. But it's also about this, as we would say, it's also about grasping it to the point where I feel the weight of it. And this is where Christ brings it vertical. Uh, Let's keep going. Verse 35, and going a little further... He fell on the ground and prayed. I love the way the scripture state this. He fell on the ground. He didn't trip. He didn't fall on the ground because he was sleepy and he had his pillow with him and he was going to take a rest. He fell on the ground because of the weight of what was happening here. This was a time of heaviness. This was a time of, of sheer load on him with what's going on. He's bearing a load here. And he comes in an attitude and in a reality of submission, he falls down. There's just something huge about the reality of our physical position of things. I mean, have you prayed on your knees? Have you prayed, I mean, just like fallen down before the Lord? I want to tell you there's something completely different about that than just standing around the table and praying. This is the whole self being brought to the table of the vertical. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed. He looked up. He took it vertical. By the way, it just if you've been around here every so often I, coming across these, it just so intrigues me. Here is the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, quote, praying to the Father. <laughs> um, I love that. It just changes the dynamic of what is prayer all about. Back in, I think, December, we talked about big, bold, bodacious prayer. And I talked about how come to the table. And about how at the table, the Word of God is at the table. The Father's at the table. The Son is at the table. The Spirit is at the table. And I come to the table. By the way, the table is not my table. It's God's table. That changes how I come. And I can only come because of what Christ has done. But here, Christ is coming to the table. It just changes the the Santa Claus request mode. We're going to see here what prayer between the Son and the Father really is like. It's this intellectual opportunity to bring the whole self to the table before the Father and to to make a plea, and yet also to make a decision. Let's take a look at it. Love this. Uh, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the one who created all things, falls on the ground, and prays to the Father. And here's what he prays. And he prays that if it were possible. In other words, that means that things can be possible. He's going to the one who can make all things possible. If it's possible, the hour might pass from him. Uh, This intrigues me because it's like, uh, Jesus, you knew from eternity past, you've known since you were born a God in the flesh, the incarnation of God, you know all this time that you're going to the cross. And in fact, you've talked about this to the disciples multiple times, telling them, and they're just not getting it, bless their hearts. And yet he's saying how he's going to the cross. And listen, this just add this adds to the load of the reality. Also, I just want to bring in, it adds to the 100% man of the incarnate God. I mean, he knows he has to go to the cross, but yet within it, having seen it before, oh, and by the way, in the whole realm of all this, not just having seen the physical side of things, but having to deal, here he is in union with the Father, knowing that here in a little while on the cross, for the first time in all of eternity up to that point, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been together on the same page in relation. And for the first time in all of eternity, the Son is going to take the weight of all, and there is, if you will, a separation from the Father taking the weight of sin in the world. Hey, listen, the physical part for me is the part of this that I go, I don't so don't would not want to go there. But I think here in this, the bigger part in this is the fact that the Son is going to have this period of time separation from union with the Father and the Spirit, and that grieves Him. How can I take this? There's such a, a man-God dynamic happening here in Gethsemane. And if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. Can I also just say this? Listen, in trials, nothing's wrong with asking the Lord to take it away. We saw that last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul, like, multiple times comes to the Lord and says, God, can you take this thorn of the flesh away from me, please? Like, I'd really appreciate it. And the response is, no. My grace is sufficient for you. This is actually a way to keep you humble. This is a good thing for you. Nothing's wrong with coming before the Lord and saying, God, can you take it away? Listen, there may be times in life and under pressure times of life where part of what God has designed for it is so that in it, I would come to him, beg for him, plead for him, ask for him to deliver the situation off of my shoulders, if you will. And it could very well be that that event is there so that God can show himself very big by showing that he can deliver, that he can remove, that he has the ability to do that, that he is God. And it could be, but God is big enough and sovereign enough that he also may know on the eternal picture of things which which he sees, and I really don't, that in it he may know that, no, this is what I want to have for you. You need to bear up under it, James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And so it's nothing's wrong with coming and asking for the Lord to remove, but watch what happens. Uh, The hour uh, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father... Okay, I, I got to make a note on this. Uh, Abba Father, oftentimes teaching on this usually goes to this. Abba Father, Abba is a very intimate term, and it is, it is. It's, it's, we don't quite have, if you will, a terminology for that. And oftentimes what ends up happening is, is it says, it's kind of like you say, Daddy. Okay, I, I'm just, this is, may just be me, but I just want to tell you, I have a hard time with that. The reason I have a hard time with that is because the picture is we see that. When we see daddy, we think here is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming up and sitting on the lap of the Father, and it's kind of like, it's all right, it's all right, daddy. I just want to say this. Listen, this is an intimate term used between the second person of the Trinity and the first person of the Trinity. This is God talking with God himself. And this is this intimate thing from all of eternity past. And sometimes this daddy term ends up just kind of being like, you know, so let's just all go hug each other kind of a thing. And now this is God from all eternity talking to God from all eternity. This is a deep, strong, oh, kind of a thing that's taking place here. Oh, Father. By the way, not daddy. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Not bigger, or less. We'll hit that in just a second. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. God is supreme. The Father is supreme. And then he says, remove this cup from me. Again, he's asking, hey, Father, can you remove this cup? (laughs) Again, I just go, Jesus, you know. You know that he can't. But again, I'm just staggered by the reality of the man that's coming through here. Remove this cup. By the way, the term cup, He didn't have like this special mug in his pocket. I'm a mug guy. If you're at our house, we have, you know, milk or water or something at dinner. I I just, glasses, whatever. I just love mugs. It's just uh, my issue. This isn't Jesus' favorite mug. What it's talking about here, in all seriousness, is this cup is a term referring to what has the Lord put on his plate in other words, what is the father, what's on his plate of life? You go back in Mark chapter 10, I think right around verse 40 in there, you've got this really interesting uh, conversation that takes place between uh, James and John get alone or uh, are, are talking with Christ. And they're talking with Christ and they come along and they go, hey, Jesus, I'll tell you what, how about this? When you get in the kingdom, can uh, I sit on your left and then I sit on your right? And then it'll be like the three of us in the most prominent places. And then it'll be like us, you know, kind of like the three amigos. You know, that's the point in time where I'm so glad that I was not Jesus. Because that's the time you just say, thank you for your time, and you are now expired. <laughs> um, what are you thinking? But in the point is, is in that statement that's taking place, Christ makes the comment to the guys, very gracious, very patient, and yet very much truth. He says, listen, guys, I bear a very unique special cup that I drink from. And by the way, there will come a day when you will be bearing a very unique cup that you will be drinking from. The point is not a cup. The point is the, the, the picture of what's been put on your plate. What is that which the Lord has allowed in your life? For Christ, that which has been put, his cup is going to the cross and the empty tomb. That's what it's talking about. Can you remove this cup? Can you remove the, the sacrifice on the cross? But here it is. Here's the drive, the stake in the ground moment. Uh, underline this sentence in your Bible right next to it. Stake it here. Christ in this. I love this. He's been having this, this dialogue with the Father. Again, he's brought all the things to the table. He's taken this look around, if you will, and he's brought all this to the table, who he is in, his, in, his, in the understanding of things and the emotion of everything. He's brought it to the table, made his plea before the Word, and then he says, yet hear, n- not what I will, but what you will, Father. This is the drive, the stake, in the ground moment. Nothing's wrong with coming and presenting our request to the Lord. Uh, Talking it out, if you will, with the Lord. Bringing scripture to bear on what's taking place. But then there comes a time to realizing that God is the one who sits on the throne and I don't. God is the one who is sovereign over all things, sees the eternal view in mind, and I don't have that ability. Uh, This is the time when remembering my life is not for my glory, my life is for His glory. And He's big enough, great enough, awesome enough, that I can place my full trust in Him. And what a joy that I can bring everything to Him, and yet when it comes right down to it, drive it, in the ground making decisions and handling trials of life i just uh, in my own life again as well as working with others also often what ends up happening is things just get stuck in looking around mode in other words this is what's happening i don't like it this is not good i understand And it just stays there and stays there sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades. It stays there. And instead of really assessing it and taking a look at it and then taking it vertical. And in this vertical reality here, bringing it to the Lord, laying my plea out, laying my case out, laying my thinking out, my emotions out, and what's going on before the Lord. But then coming to the place where I go, listen, God, you thank you for the chance to hear me, but now I'm moving on regardless of what you have and driving it in the ground. And I just have to ask right at this point, One of my great concerns about after a heavy-duty series like we've been in here for a while is that some, or frankly most, end up just viewing it and dealing with it as information and don't take it and drive it in the ground to where it's like, listen, this is what a sovereign Lord has allowed to take place in my life. Fine, I'm good with that. I'm content with that. I'm clinging to the word. I'm clinging to the power of Christ. I'm clinging to the person of Christ. I'm clinging to the people of Christ. And God, I just want you to know officially, I'm driving it into the ground that I'm moving on with this. What am I talking about? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jump to verse 41. He goes back and the guys are asleep. He comes and prays again, goes back, they're asleep, comes back again, verse 41. And he came the third time and he said to them, the disciples, are you still sleeping and taking a rest? Yes, they were. Look at what he says. It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What's the big deal about that? I think what we see here is when he said, yet not my will, your will. He was dead dog serious about that. He drove the stake in the ground. It was like, I've laid it out. You've heard me. And now, Lord, onward, here we go. And he looks ahead. And he looks ahead. Oh, by the way, I cannot go by that term son of man in there. Without making a comment, if you were here when we were very beginning of a year and a half or so ago, when you're going through the gospel of Mark, and that term son of man, you see, we think of father and son, older, younger, more mature, less mature. The father birthed the son. That's not what the scriptures are talking about. What's really being talked about is, in, in the correct terminology viewpoint of it, would be is there's an equality. When it's then the scripture says son of God, it's not talking lesser than. It's talking the equivalent one of God. It's saying God. And here's what's so cool. And Mark uses again over and over again the term son of man. Why is that so awesome? That is truly so awesome because it is saying he is man's representative to the cross. On the cross, who died? God died. The second person of the Trinity gave up his life. Who died on the cross? Who gave up his life on the cross? The equivalent one of man, the representative of a man. And that's where I go, thank you, Lord, because next week, the resurrection, that applies to us as well in the resurrection. And so when we take a look at this, it's here, the son of man is betrayed, the equivalent one, our representative is betrayed. But he went on and he went to the cross. There is this aspect as we look at this event and I just go, there was a looking around, there was a looking up, bringing it all vertical, and then there was a get at it. It's enough. The hour has come. The betrayal is at hand. Rise. Let's go. Here's what I want to finish today. I really want to finish with just some, again like last Sunday, just some time of uh, review and commitment coming to the end of this whole series and if you haven't been around for a while this is so much for those who have been around and here's what I want for you to do in your update uh, there's a little card in there will you grab that card out everybody you grab that card out it just says kind of that yellow box there not what I will but what you will we're just going to take some quiet time here take some minutes and here and then here in a little bit we're going to have communion But on this card, what I'd like for you to do is, on this, is for you. Listen, this is not about the person on your left. This isn't about the person on your right, the person in front of you, the person behind you. This is a time for you and the Lord, okay? What I'd like for you to do is, in this period of time, take a look and write down on this card, what's a trial, what's an under-pressure time that you've been going through? And maybe you're still fighting it with the Lord. Maybe you're still wrestling it out and maybe this is the time to give it up and drive the stake in the ground. What is it? Write that down. What is it? Write it down. Don't be looking at me. Has there been a time where you've been wanting to control things and you just can't give up control even to the Lord? Maybe you've been doing things your way Maybe you've been just wanting to know why would God allow this in my life? Listen, there comes times where it's just time to give it up. You know, when we get to see the Lord, we'll be able to ask and believe me, he'll have it all figured out. Maybe it's been I've been ignoring something, frankly, or I've just been faking that nothing's wrong and I need to get after it. What is it? Maybe it's something you've just been trying to do on your own. What's going on? You know, maybe for you, it's not even a trial. Maybe the Lord's been asking you to do something, just been putting it on your heart, something you need to change, you need to work on. Write that down. Maybe a problem that you need to address in your life or problem going on you're ignoring. or Maybe it's a thing of just not spending the time with the Lord. It's another year, another Easter, and... I still feel like I really don't know my Bible. Well, maybe that's because you haven't been spending time with the Lord in it. What is it? Just take some time here and write that down and what's going on. Here, we're going to have some just some music playing, quiet. Just keep where you're at. What do you need to do? Maybe you need to drive the stake in the ground here. I just want to let you know that if you want, maybe uh, one thing that might help you is just to kind of as a physical representation of that. If you want to just come on up, take your card with what you've written down, just put it on one of the speakers and then just go sit down. This is not, We're not trying to work, people. Maybe for you, that's something that would just help you. It's like a, God, I'm just, this is down. In fact, you can see the cards from first service just blew me away. I'm thrilled people want to get after it. Maybe that's a time for you. You just want to, drive that state, drive it in the chair with the Lord right now, come up whatever
1: Nothing but your blood, it's nothing but your blood, King Jesus.
0: who are going to be helping this serving communion, just come down and if you could go ahead and get ready for that. Just what a special day before Easter to be reminded of what Christ has done and I just want for you to know that if uh, there have been a time in your life where you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, John 1, 12 says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've come to a place where you've received Christ as your Savior, we would love to have you participate in communion here. And Once they're uh, in their places, you can just uh, go ahead and get up from your seat and um, grab the bread and grab the cup and come back to your seat and then we'll partake together here in just a couple minutes. This is a special time. This is a remembering time.
1: What can wash away our sin? What can make us whole again? Nothing but your blood. It's nothing but the blood of. blood, it's nothing but your blood keeps
0: haven't gotten bread in the cup please we'll, we'll wait this is we're letting everybody get settled may it remind us it's all about grace a person does not come to Christ by earning God's favor and a person does not retain Christ by earning God's favor a person if you will retains Christ only by God holding us in his hand It's all by grace. We can't earn it. It's all grace. But we sure can live to give glory to him. Mark 14, and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, take this is my body. And after getting a picture of the broken body, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Lord, it is a tremendous blessing to celebrate what you've done, to remember the great cost of the cross, to remember the great grace of the cross, and to remember the resurrection. You didn't stay there. He rose again. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thanking, thank you for making forgiveness and salvation and a relationship with you available to all. Thank you that one day we indeed will see you face-to-face until that time may we be the kind of people who are all about your glory who even in times of trial live like you are real about it are real about it with you and are real about laying ourselves before you. Lord, not our will, but your will. I pray we would be people that really go after living that out. Help us. In your name we pray.